Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and on this episode, I'm chatting to Jack Wall, composer on a multitude of video games, including Mass Effect, Jade Empire, Call of Duty Black Ops, and Myst, along with a number of TV shows and other projects. In the latest iteration of Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, the game, as you might have guessed from the title, takes the player back to the 80s when the tensions were high between the US and the USSR. The gripping single-player campaign has you come face-to-face with historical figures and hard truths as you battle around the globe through iconic locales such as East Berlin, Vietnam, Turkey, Soviet KGB headquarters and more. Jack Wall is NASCAP award-winning and BAFTA-nominated composer best known for his rich cinematic scores found within popular video game franchises. He also has scored for various TV series such as Shadowhunters Mortal Instruments and provided additional music on shows and films such as Rain, Emerald City and Hard Target 2. In the interview, we discussed finding the sound for Black Ops Cold War, including piecing together a chorus of Russian singers for the menu theme and working with his wife, fellow composer Cindy Shapiro, to write the lyrics for the piece. We also chat about the issues that come with trying to record a huge soundtrack for a triple-A video game in the middle of a global pandemic and the legacy of his work on the Mass Effect franchise. Having mentioned the global pandemic, I should also mention that he was stuck in Portugal when we interviewed him for this due to the fact that he'd uh, come abroad to see his daughter and was visiting Europe at the time and then everything got locked down. So uh, hopefully he's managed to get back home now, but at the time he was stuck in a hotel room in Portugal. If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for geek town radio this will also give you our weekly geek town radio podcast which brings you all the latest tv film and gaming news you can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest uk and us tv premiere dates here's the interview with jack wall it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
It's lovely to be able to sit and chat with you about your work, particularly Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. But before we get into the games and stuff, how about we just do a little bit of background and how you got into the industry? Because, I mean, I talk to composers quite a lot and usually it's sort of, oh, well, I was in a band or I played guitar for somebody and then kind of got into it or I went to college and trained for it. You have a degree in civil engineering, was it? I think That's true. <laughs> I can uh, design so, your sewage system and I can write some music for you in the same day. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you get from a degree in civil engineering to becoming a highly respected Hollywood composer? Yeah, and, and then hopefully you won't put the music in the sewage system when it's done. <laughs> Uh, I was always a musician my whole life. I mean, I I remember being on the bus in grade school and I I was 12 years old and I saw uh, one of my friends get off the bus with a guitar and I was like, oh my God, what is that? You know, (laughs) I feel like I'm a late bloomer at 12, you know, I was already too old for what I was wanting to do. But, uh, you know, he he was good enough to pull his guitar out and start playing it for me. And I just ran home and I said, mom, dad, I got to get a guitar. (laughs) So um, started learning how to play the guitar and I I was always in bands and I was always, you know, doing music of one form or another. I wasn't particularly involved in like the school musical shows and stuff like that, but it was, I loved just playing music. So when I was about two years old, I used to have this little suitcase looking record player. It was like, you know, because I would carry it everywhere I went. I remember that. You know, yeah. and I put, you know, the, yeah. And I would put the Beatles 45s on and just listen to Day Tripper over and over again. And Michelle, my and all those, all those wonderful Beatles songs. We had all the 45. So I would just keep playing them. I was always musical, but you know, my mom was like, you should go to school for something practical, you know, so you can fall back. She just wanted me to be okay financially, I guess. You know? So she talked me into that. And, and I loved math and science and physics and chemistry. I loved all of it. And so it was really fun for me to get a degree in civil engineering. It was, wasn't until I actually started working as a civil engineer that I realized how boring every day was going to be. <laughs> yeah. And so about a year into my career as a civil engineer, I I threw in the towel and I I decided at that point to do something else. I didn't even know what I was going to do with my life, but I knew it wasn't going to be civil engineering. So that happened when I was about 25 years old. And so then I thought, oh, you know, I found this program in Boston from Berkeley College of Music. It was called the Music Production Engineering Degree. And I thought, oh, I'll just go back to school for that because I fell in love with my band. I was we went into the studio one day after. I quit civil engineering. We went into the studio, you know, like a really professional studio in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I was living at the time. And um, I just couldn't believe how fun it was to be in the studio making music. So I pursued a career at that point in being a recording engineer. Mm. And I became a recording and mix engineer over the next eight years, working with some great artists like John Cale and Patti Smith and David Byrne. And in the, the New York music scene was pretty, was kind of winding down in, in a way, but it was still kind of vibrant in, in another way. It was kind of around the late 80s when all the studios started to close, you know, because the business wasn't supporting it anymore. Yeah. And then um, a few years later, sometime in the early to mid 90s, I decided to, to move out to LA with my wife and we had just gotten married. And, and my wife was, um, she was a musician as well. And I met her in the studio. She was a singer and they had a deal with Capitol Records. And I was working on that. And she was also way into software. So she's the one who actually got me into games. You know, she, uh, <laughs> Cindy Shapiro, who, you know, she's still 
writes lots of music. She writes for theater. She writes with me when we do songs and stuff. She'll do lyrics because I, I can write lyrics, but do you really want me to write lyrics? Probably not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's been a great partnership all these years and in certain ways. And then other ways we have our own careers in, in music. So it, it's a long and winding road, as they say. Dave. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you've done things like the Mist games, which I used to love. I, I remember playing yeah, through those. Yeah. I didn't do the first two. I did the second two. Yeah, I did yeah two the three and four. Yeah. Uh, Jade Empire, Mass Effect, of course. Mm-hmm. Then you end up coming to the Call of Duty games. Uh, you started at yeah. one Black Ops 2, then did three and four, and now Cold War. Yep. Were you a gamer when you first started getting involved with these? Well, you know, that's the thing. Cindy, back in, it was like 94, she was like, hey, you got to play this game, you know? And I was like, I want to get like a computer so I can play games on the computer. And then she gave me this game, Mist, and I was just like, whoa, this is so cool. And I, and I li- was listening to the soundtrack and I was completely bought in to the, the whole thing. It was just amazing, you know? So a friend who was part of a game company and they needed music. And so she and I started writing and then she kind of went off in her direction and I stayed in games. That's how, that's how it went. With Black Ops, Cold War, this latest version, which came out, what, November last year? So very recent. It's slightly different to some of the other ones in that they, they sort of tend to have a lot of different sort of locations and stuff. And this has a very specific kind of setup and setting to it. So yes. how was your approach to tackling Cold War? You know, that's so interesting that you said that because that's exactly what I thought too. Like, all the other Black Ops games are you travel all over the world and there's these crazy storylines that are kind of intersecting and all over the place and you know it's very convoluted it's difficult to understand and you sort of make your way through it this was so contained you know mm-hmm. it was like the backdrop was the Cold War but the story was you're chasing a terrorist and you're trying to stop him from doing something terrible so yeah it was really contained and I, I kind of really enjoyed that this time around because the idea the sort of like environment or the million you that you're in is the Cold War. There's Russians and there's Americans and there's a story there. There's a historic you know, record of what happened. And we actually researched that and you'll hear that in the Russian lyrics and they're translated. It's talking about how the Russians viewed us and how we viewed them at the time. So there's all this kind of like history and then you're putting this fiction on top of that history. So the story itself was pretty straightforward and it was easy to follow and therefore I could create themes, attach them to characters and have them carry through the entire piece pretty easily. And so, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty cohesive score in that sense, rather than sort of just having fun and doing such a varied score. Like most of my Black Ops scores are all over the place. Like, you know, there'll be some Asian music here and there'll be some, you know, Middle Eastern over here and there'll be some big giant military march over here. You know, it's all over the place. So, and which is fun as well. But uh, I really approached this one like I was scoring a movie, more or less. Yeah, and I- and you get to play around in the 80s as well, which is a, such a fun period of music to mess with, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so our brief was, go ahead and use those 80s synths, but let's do kind of a modern version of it. Just, yeah. just so we don't start sounding too much like other things that there's so many things in popular culture now that are about 80s synth, right? So we wanted to sort of differentiate ourselves a little bit. One of the big pieces of music is the sort of main menu theme, which 
is very kind of Russian. You've gone with a, a very sort of Russian theme to it, which is great. You've also got lyrics on that. You've got you've got singing and it's got lyrics on that. Was that always the intention when you started writing it or, or was that something that you kind of came in with halfway through? When did that plan start to formulate? Yeah, I mean, we had all this complication because of COVID, right? So it, are we going to use a choir? Are we not using a choir? Using a choir is going to require some thought. <laughs> <laughs> So people don't say, because being in a choir is a super spreader event every yeah. single time. If one person has COVID, everyone's going to have COVID at the end of the day. So you can't put people in the same room. So there was a lot of thought about that. But coupled with that with the fact that we didn't really know until maybe April that the game was called Cold War. We knew it was set in Cold War, but we didn't have, they didn't really settle on the <laughs> name and say, okay, this is it and announce the game and all that. So until they did that, I didn't really know what I was going to do for a main theme, right? Once they said that and they came to me and say, hey, okay, let's write a theme for the menu area. And they explained to me how they only asked for a 40 second theme, which is the first 40 seconds of that piece. And I just wanted to have something that was kind of dark and very specifically rhythmic, like a march and Russian. Mm-hmm. So I chose chord progression and the, and the male choir specifically just to give it some testosterone. And I wanted it to have like a vibe that sort of immediately, okay, that's the game. This is what the game is, you know, the signature of the game. And then they liked it so much. They said, you know, we really like what you've done here, but we kind of want to hear more of this piece. Like, can you write a long, can you take this piece and make it three, three and a half minutes long? They were playing around with how that would work. And from that opening moment on the menu screen, then you'll go to whatever mode you're playing, whether it's yeah. single campaign and multiplayer, zombie, whatever. And then we had different themes for all those things too. So they wanted this one to play all the way to the end. And then even if you already went to another mode and then the other theme would then start to play. So um, I had already written a theme for when you're in the KGB building. I can't remember what it's called in the game because it had a different name after it was released than what we were calling it. But you're in the KGB uh, building and you're, you're sort of stealthily searching around and almost towards the end of the theme, you're in a full blown battle. And I wrote this really Russian theme that was the same. I actually took that chord progression and used it, but slowed it down for the menu. So then I, I reworked that theme. And that became the Cold War theme. Yeah. So the lyrics, you know, that was something that because it was it didn't have anything to do with the story. Again, it had to do with the environment that we were in, which was the Cold War. So again, I, what do I do? I go to Cindy and say, Cindy, can you write some English lyrics that we can have translated? And I'd already done this earlier for an earlier session myself. I'd written the lyrics myself in English. Had a Russian translator come in, <laughs> Yana Habib, who contracts my choirs. She found 32 singers that could sing and and record themselves at home. And then we had a music editor put all those files together and clean them up. And then, you know, so it was quite a a long process done uh, because usually, you know, it's like a four hour session with a choir and you go in and sort of manipulate how you want it to sound with the singers in the room. And, you know, you just write the music, you chart it, you go to the session and it's done. This was, I got to really figure out what I want to hear in the very end. So we had to do like tests of pronunciation for the Russian translator. 
translator and then we had to do like uh, guide tracks for the rest of each you know one person from each section of the choir would then sing their part and we'd make sure the pronunciation was correct and then we would make sure that musically it sounded like what I wanted and so I, I would literally have have to go back two or three times to them and say uh, you know I'm gonna phrase it slightly differently and, and all that so it was it was quite a, a long process <laughs> but Cindy wrote the lyrics in English and to do that like I said I had written other lyrics but this to me was more important it was the signature of the yeah of the whole piece so, and it was about the Cold War so she went and she does what Cindy does and she does, does all this research right and she finds declassified CIA, CIA documents from the 80s and reads them <laughs> Things like that. And uh, so she she did all the research and then wrote from the perspective of Russians at that time, mm. what how they saw America. And I just thought that would be a really cool thing because most of the movies we see that are Russian, it's always about like how Americans see Russia at yeah. the time. Like if you think about Crimson Tide and you think about all these different Russian movies that we all grew up with, and this was a chance to do it from the Russian perspective, right? So I, I just had some fun with that with Cindy and, and then translated and done and that was really really quite fun and I, and I published those lyrics on my website at jackwell.net so if you want to read those you can just go there and they're sitting there like at the, the Cyrillic and the transliterations that were actually sung in the English which uh, shows what they mean <laughs> Wow I saw the lyrics on the website earlier it's uh, it's great people can go oh, on and sing along and learn some Cyrillic at yeah. the same time yeah, I put the music up too Yeah that's awesome Moving on from, from that main theme you've got sort of other tracks I mean although it doesn't move around maybe as much as some of the other games you are like I say in this very specific sort of setting there's there's places like Turkey in there and uh, Vietnam there's a sort of I know there's a track called Cuban Crisis as well so you're getting to add sort of flavours yeah. of, of other things in there there's right. a, there's an uh, Rising Tide is one of the tracks as well which has a very sort of 80s synth rock thing going on on that one I think yeah, that's, that's more interesting yeah were there any any particular interesting things that you you found composing some of those themes? Uh, you know, it's always fun to you know maybe give a little bit of a flavor of Turkey, for example, in mm. the, the national the national instrument of Turkey is the saz. So of course, when you first come into that level, I have a little saz playing, and that's always fun. And percussion, I'm a big fan of percussion. I love percussion, so. I always work with great percussionists to lend a hand, especially for Cuba. You know, like Cuba is like it's a very percussion heavy type of music. The same thing in Turkey. We, we use quite a bit of that there. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I just try to have, I personalize each of the levels and then I try to, first thing I do is write the themes and then those themes get carried through. So, and the main themes I used were 1981. Yeah, that was one of them. And then, uh, of course, Cold War and then uh, Bell's theme, which is, he's the guy you play. He's the main character. You mentioned uh, recording with artists that uh, drummers and stuff how was that recording that during the pandemic because you obviously can't get people together in a in a big room to do that either yeah well you know over the last few years even before the pandemic hit just to save time all the musicians i know have their own recording studios at home so it's sort of like I'll, I'll just send them some music and a track and a click track and they'll send me back finished parts right okay uh, occasionally if i feel it and i have the time i'd much rather be with them uh, yeah. there's 
just no question. I would much rather be with the musician because I can sort of craft it a little more. It's just more fun for me. But uh, a lot of the times if we're just really busy, we won't get into that as much. And a lot of the guys and girls I work with are just phenomenal musicians. So you you just tell them what to play and they they usually give a number of ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Different ways to play the same notes and and then you can choose what you like. And rarely do I say, oh, I wish I was there and could have done something different. But, you know, just to be selfish, I love being there. Now, when it comes to the orchestra, that was tough because we had to put people in the room. But the way we did it was we recorded in Nashville, Tennessee, where the pandemic at the time, this is June and September, was not actually causing a huge problem in Tennessee. It wasn't like the numbers weren't great there. They were very small. Mm. So what they were willing to do because they wanted to keep people working was they would we would do the strings in one session and there would be only one player per desk. They were separated by several feet and then they were wearing masks. So we were able to do the strings in one pass, even though they were more, way more spread out than they usually are. And it sounded, it still sounded great. So we did that. And then the brass would come in by themselves. They would be in their own like little cubicle pointing out towards the middle of the room, right. all of them pointing towards the middle of the room. So they weren't pointed at each other. So you would think that might be a little safer. And then of course, when they're not playing, they had to wear masks. <laughs> and the same thing with the woodwinds. So we were able to get it all done uh, sort of piecemeal like that. But you know, that, I prefer to record that way anyway, because it's just more efficient. Right. And in games, certainly you want as much separation as possible so that you can actually use the stems to create more cues for the game. And it just ends up being useful somehow. Coming back to that, with a game, obviously, there's a certain sort of elasticity, I guess, you have to have to the music when it comes to the levels and things, because you don't know how long somebody is going to be studying one particular spot or how long it's going to take them to do something. Are there points where you go back and either play through the game or watch somebody play through the game and think, oh, I didn't think it would be like that. How it's ended up being stitched back together when it's sort of manipulated within the gameplay. You know, when I look at the game, for me, it's always like, oh, I wish I could have taken some time to tweak how it got put into the game. That wasn't quite my intention. It's close. It's not exactly what I wanted. But, you know, some of that is due to technical limitations, too. Yeah. But uh, I think the way that we work is we write very specific instructions. The instructions are like playing telephone. It's sort of, you think you're saying one thing, but he's hearing another. <laughs> so it's sort of like, it would have been a, a good thing for me to play through a level and make notes. And I think next time I'll advocate for doing that. Because uh, I'm big stickler for how music gets implemented in the game. You know, transitions are really important. Moments like that I'm writing are really specific to a a very specific moment at times. And I want those pieces to land so they have the desired effect, right? Like there's this one comedic moment where you're with Woods and you're sort of stealthily about to go through a door. You think maybe there's like a thousand communists on the other side ready to kill you. So there's a, there's sort of a, uh, you know, roll up to, you know, a hit or just stop. And at that moment, there's nobody out there but a mannequin. <laughs> so he attacks the mannequin and he's ready to kill the mannequin. And then he realizes and he looks back at you or her playing bell and says, not a damn word. Don't say anything. <laughs> and it's really funny. But the way that the music got implemented was just slightly like just early, just slightly <laughs> too early to really have the comedic effect I was going for. So, you know, it's a, that's my fault. Like I just wasn't clear 
clear enough with my direction. And, and that's like, that's yeah, something I want to pay attention to next time. <laughs> it would have been really funny if we had done it the way I was thinking. I think maybe I'm just overthinking. Maybe I'm too anal about all this. Stuff. <laughs> I always find it, it must be slightly difficult for composers when it comes to writing music for video games, because it kind of envisages in some places, like trying to lay sheets of paper on a top of a pile of water. They're sort of there, but slightly kind of floating next to each other so nothing ever quite stays exactly where you want to put it that's a great analogy david <laughs> I, I think i think that's perfect people don't quite understand unless they actually make games how unbelievably difficult it is to make a game yeah it's just really hard it's a lot of work and i just love how people just get so pissy online about oh i know and you just think well, if you only knew how hard that was just to get that done <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, and everyone is super passionate about getting it right. So it's nobody's fault. It's just, it's tough. It's just a hard thing to make. It is. I mean, I don't think any game developer out there has ever set out with the intention of making a bad yeah. game. You know, That's right. True. <laughs> that would be insane. And sometimes things work. Sometimes something falls to bits when they put it out. So, you know, I mean, look at the fiasco with Cyberpunk game recently, which I played through actually and thought it was brilliant it worked fine for me but you know yeah I've heard both I haven't played it and it's a great wonderfully fun game but obviously there were some technical issues with certain platforms that they hadn't managed to test properly on and it happens unfortunately yeah, it's yes. really really difficult I feel for all the developers when they go through that it's it's a tough business that way yeah it's very difficult in terms of composing generally for games what are you actually working to in most cases I kind of feel like a movie I'll ask for one of the audio developers to to do a playthrough of a level and do a video capture of that. And then we'll take that video capture of that level and then go through it as if we were scoring a movie. Right. And so that, that way I can kind of understand 30,000 foot view what should be happening emotionally and tonally and timbre wise all through the level is supposed to be, what it's supposed to mean, how you're supposed to feel when you're playing it, all that stuff. So, uh, and then we'll do a what's called a spotting session, just like you do in TV and film. And we'll talk about all those things and then we'll um, my assistant creates a cue list from that and then I put in from that and he will do the same thing we'll put in instructions about how it gets implemented and then I just start writing it all the way through and <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll technically put it together so that it can be implemented properly whether it needs to loop or whatever and just make all those notes and all that kind of stuff so usually it's a pretty seamless process and if we just had like one or two more iterations of implementation and then test, which I didn't do this game for some reason. We, we were very busy. It was just too hard to get to do that. And it came out pretty good. I mean, the implementation came out really well. The guy who did it is brilliant and all that. I just wish we had a little more time to polish it, but I think it, it did get polished subsequently because that's the nice thing about games right now. Everything's downloadable. So yeah. they, were patching, they were patching right up until launch day. You know, it's, it was great. That's quite a nice thing in the modern age, but that, that's pretty much my process. It's like scoring a film. Mm, cool. I suppose it depends when you get involved with it as well and how far along the development is when they bring you in. So yeah. what a sort of general question. I know a lot of composers tend to have collections of slightly stranger instruments that they go to to make sounds for games and stuff. Are you one of those sort of people that collects things to be able to uh, make music with? Yes. 
although it's very much about making sounds for a specific thing, whatever that thing is. But it's it's often a mixture of finding new musicians who have those things and can play those things. Like I don't I don't believe that I should be playing an air who, for example, that an air who work really well here. You know, there's there's different instruments that you know I play a lot of different stringed instruments. So if there's anything with a string on it, I'll probably play that myself. Everything from mandolin to bass and guitar and, and atmospheric kind of sounds made by the guitar and that those are the kinds of things I like to do. And I also like interesting sounding percussion that's small percussion, like bells and things like that that are just add something interesting and sweet to the, the sound. But I'm not a guy who has like an enormous amount of room to put like <laughs> You know, all these instruments in. So um, I have a two-car garage that I converted into a studio space with three different rooms. So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm running out of room is what I'm saying. I could envisage Cindy's head popping in from the side of the camera who's like, no, he is not somebody that has a lot of room. For <laughs> She's actually right there. <laughs> right oh, dear. Um, so uh, the other game, of course, which you worked on, which was incredible, the first two games of Mass Effect in the Mass Effect franchise. Have you been surprised at just the longevity and the love that there has been for that franchise and those games, particularly the the early three? Yeah, no, it's uh, what an immense honor it is to be a small part of two history-making games that have these kind of legs. You know, I mean, the fact that they're coming out with a remaster Mm -hmm. this year and a whole new generation of gamers are going to get a chance to play these games on the new platforms is phenomenal. It's like, does that happen? You know, they remade Final Fantasy to remastered that too and then you've got a few Halo remasters I mean it doesn't happen to a lot of games so yeah it's pretty cool I, I think that's amazing I'm very proud to have played a part in that have you had any involvement in the legendary editions or are they using what they've got they asked me for some stems you know of like a few themes Suicide Mission this is last year I guess Suicide Mission Vigil and um, one or two others I can't remember what I had or because you know a lot of times when you're like we made Mass Effect 1 in 2006 or 7, you know? <laughs> yeah. That was an eternity ago, technical was Like, the drives I have, I mean, I do have the, the drives and I, I was able to find stuff, but I wasn't producing music the way I, I do today, you know, where I have everything on its own stem, and so it, was, it wasn't necessarily easy for me to do that. So, I think I, I was able to give them a few things, but I'm not sure what, yeah. what if any of those things they used. A friend of mine is the composer on the game Medieval, which again was another one that was sort of a beloved game that got remastered but you're talking like mid 90s when they made the first one of that and then they they did a remaster i think last year or the year before they had the same thing but the stuff that they were using back then it, it was like things carved in oh, stone back in the 90s forget it yeah, yeah. So, so they were just having to recreate like everything for it so uh, yeah. yeah have to remake that entire score sure. but basically yeah they were like having to go back and yeah. just get old scores and beg people for things <laughs> you know it's ridiculous along with the mass effect games you have done a few bits of work on some tv shows you did uh, shadow hunters with trevor morris and you did rain and emerald city as well is tv something you'd like to maybe do a bit more of you know i love television i love watching television I'm a big <laughs> yes love watching television i love long form the long form storytelling that a composer gets to do it's a, a very different sort of writing because do a spotting session on Monday 
And by Friday or Saturday, you're turning in the entire score. And it's anywhere from 20 minutes to 40 minutes of music. So uh, it's quite a, a lot of work. But yes. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy doing that. I've done well over 100 episodes of television and at this point, and I love doing that. I love it. And, and I love the seeing that, you know, the, the other amazing difference between games and TV is that when you turn in that score, you may have some notes to do and you'll make fixes or adjustments to your, to your music to suit the director and producers. But two weeks later, it's on the air. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like with games, it's you could go for you could be writing a score for a couple of years, you know, before it even gets out into the world. And then you'll finish and it, there's at least three to four months before it even comes out. So, <laughs> you know, it, there's a long wait. But it, it's it's also kind of fun because it's more of an event when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah, I got a whole bunch of love for all that stuff, you know. Leading on to my last couple of questions, before we get to that, are you working on something at the moment? I know you're you're obviously on a break in Portugal right now, but have you got other things lined up? If do, you can talk yeah. about... Uh, can, can you talk about... I do have... Um, I'm doing a project here in Portugal. Oh. And it's tough because I, I'm stuck here. Uh, literally, I can't get on flight right now, so I'm stuck. <laughs> but I, I do have my laptop and a keyboard and I'm sketching things out on piano and then my assistant is mocking them up so extra process we have to go through but it's kind of fun to write that way you know just on piano just to see how that works out you know nice um and I do that even at home. Sometimes I'll do that. Like I'll, I'll just do, I want to, to just write it on piano because it will come out differently, you know? Yeah. So I enjoy experimenting with different ways of approaching a composition, whether it be even writing on a piece of paper or just writing on piano and then writing it down or sketching it in a sequence or with piano or just having your entire template with every sound imaginable at your disposal and then seeing what comes out. So this is sort of forcing me to do the piano thing and it's, it's, kind of fun. So, uh, yeah, I've got a meeting about this next project I'm doing and uh, right after this. And then hopefully the other, the second project, we'll wait until I get back to LA. And- that we get. Last two questions for you. They're always TV related. So first question is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Well, since I'm in Europe, I found this, this show called Suits. Oh, <laughs> yes. I love that show. Yeah. It's a great show. It's about, for those who don't know, it's about lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, of course, people over here know about that show because one of our princesses is in it so <laughs> i know yeah that's kind of blowing me away um yeah. you can't you, i don't think that show is available on netflix in the states so um ah but i'm enjoying watching that show and uh the princess is great she's i love her in that show <laughs> that's been one uh i just finished watching with cindy it's called pretend it's a city okay it's with uh fran Leibowitz, who's like a raconteur writer Oh, humorous. Yes, yes, yes. And, and Martin Scorsese. And um, it's just her talking for like seven episodes. Yeah. About stuff. And she it's just really fun. And I just really enjoyed that a lot. A that's, lot. That's a Netflix series, isn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah no. Scorsese and Friendly Woods. Yeah, it's great. It's really, really fun. I highly recommend it. it. Especially if you're like, you enjoy like really smarty pants humor. And yeah, it's just really good. Yeah. I saw that come up. I, I will have to go and check that one out because it's, it's on my long list of things that I need to catch up on at the moment. Yeah, yeah. She's she's just a genius. I just enjoy listening to her, her ideas about everything from taking the subway to, you know, a 
other writers and artists and things like that. Just she had this great thing about Picasso where she was just like talking about this Picasso that went for like $150 million, right? <laughs> and the, and so Scorsese says, so what do you think about that? And they showed the whole thing happen in, a, in an auction. Mm. She goes, what I think is that when Picasso is announced, you know, you would think people would clap then for the <laughs> art. Yeah. But they didn't clap for art. They clapped for the $150 million. Yeah. That's the real accomplishment is somebody paid that much money for a piece of art. It's all backwards. Yeah. <laughs> I just love her so much. This yeah. Absolutely right as well. So last question. If you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, it can be a show from the past, something present, or some sort of future genre, what would it be? That's a great question. And my biggest thrill is working on a good story. Like, I don't care if it's a period piece in, you know, the Middle Ages or during the Renaissance or something like that, or it's like a science fiction show. Hmm. If I had my druthers, I'd find the greatest science fiction story and do that because a lot of science fiction to me comes off a little goofy, mostly yeah. because of costumes. <laughs> <And the laughs> just, uh, you know, it just doesn't look real. But like one of my favorite shows of all time is Battlestar Galactica, the remake. Right, yeah. The story was just so good and the score was so good. Barry McCreary is a friend of mine. Great score, great vibe, great feeling of being somewhere in a different time. And just the way that series went from day one until the very last episode, how it end, how they ended the series. One of the best series I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. You know, they're uh, doing a kind of new continuation thing to that Battlestar Galactica as well. If they do, I'm going to be all over it because I yeah. love that stuff. It's not Ronald D. Moore doing it. It is Sam Ishmael from Mr. Robot is doing it. Oh, nice. But oh, cool. he's spoken to Ron Moore about it. So it is a continuation. It's set in that sort of same world, but they haven't quite figured out what they're going to do yet. But it is, mm. it, they are connected in some way. So. Oh, cool. I think they're doing that for Peacock, I think, are doing that. So, yeah. So that will definitely be one to look out for. And Absolutely. they've just announced, although I suspect this might fall rather more on the goofy sci fi side, they've announced they're working on a Buck Rogers reboot, apparently. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> George Clooney and Brian K. Vaughan, who's a phenomenal comic book writer. That's um, nice. That's, uh, that sounds fun. Uh, George Clooney's production company are doing, uh, apparently working on that. Very but, nice. Uh, and, and they're working on a, a series for Mist, a TV series. Oh, yes. I heard something about that. Yeah. I don't know where it's at now. I haven't looked at, at that in a while, but yeah. Have they announced a Mass Effect TV series? That surely can't be far off <laughs> with everything well, else they stuff like that for a while I think they were talking about that back in Mass Effect 1 days yeah um, but yeah who knows I, I, know that, I know they're doing Halo that's coming yeah. so there's a few of them we are starting to get and I mean they're really starting to jump into the uh, video game to TV things because uh, yeah, I mean video games are bigger than TV and film combined so what do you, <laughs> you know, yeah. of course right? yeah yeah Last of Us has got a TV show coming soon that's, which looks yeah. really interesting there's a couple of 
of others as well but yeah it's it's crazy absolutely yeah. crazy thank you for spending some time to chat good luck hope you're not stopping Portugal for too long as nice as Portugal yeah, is uh, it's not a bad place to be stuck but uh, hopefully I'll get home before too long I hope so too enjoy the sea and the beach while you're there and stuff I, I will hopefully we'll get to talk again at some point when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic that would be great maybe even in person someday yes maybe even in person bye take care bye Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.